0: Welcome to All Autism Talk, connecting the autism community one podcast at a time. Our podcast offers friendly conversations with inspiring individuals in the autism community. All Autism Talk is brought to you by Learn Behavioral and the Learn Provider Network. Now here's your host. Hi, everybody. Welcome to All Autism Talk. Our podcast is brought to you by Learn Behavioral, an ABA provider serving families across the country. I'm your host, Katherine Johnson. It's been widely known that autism is more prevalent in boys than girls, and with that knowledge, there's often much more of an emphasis on boys. In this episode, we wanted to take some time to explore girls and autism and take a look at the recent research, which is illuminating in that it shows that our approach to diagnostics and treatment with girls probably needs updating. To delve into this topic, I'm happy to be speaking with a colleague and friend. Dr. Ronit Malko is a psychologist and founder of Autism Spectrum Therapies, which is now a learned behavioral company. In addition to being a clinician and entrepreneur, she's also an author. Her book, Autism Matters, includes a chapter on how autism affects girls and women, which is why I was particularly excited to have this conversation with her. Hello, Ronit. Nice to see you. Hi, Catherine. Great to see you too. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on and and chat about this really important issue. I'm, I'm really glad that you included this in your book. Thank you, yeah, I'm really excited to be here. So autism was once thought of as a condition that mainly afflicts boys, but that's not the case. What percentage of girls are diagnosed with autism?
1: So currently we're looking at ratios of four to one. So for every four boys diagnosed, generally there's one female diagnosed, mm-hmm. You know, but there's a lot of research going on around this issue.
0: And how has this misconception of autism as a, as a boys only disease affected girls? So
1: when Kanner originally created the diagnosis for autism in the 1940s, he studied 11 boys and, and, you know, he actually talks about autistic male traits. So it really was around 11 boys that were diagnosed, seen, showing similar behaviors and issues. Mm -hmm. And so that was how the diagnosis was created. So actually the history of it is around male behavior. And that's how we assess girls
0: today and so when we're talking about like the dsm criteria that was all that was primarily or at least from the beginning really just came from observing boys only and no girls at all well
1: yeah the original history was these 11 boys and so the diagnostic criteria well the behaviors and the and the characteristics were identified through studying these 11 boys. And so we know that the DSM has evolved over years as the criteria have changed and they've changed how they look at it. But, you know, we can talk about the three domains and how that affects boys versus girls.
0: And how do the symptoms of autism affect girls versus how they affect boys? Does it manifest differently in
1: girls? So what we we see from research that's been happening is that girls will study social behavior and they're able to mimic it. So on the playground and, you know, in social situations, they will look at other little girls, see how they're behaving socially, and they can copy that.
0: Mm-hmm. They, don't
1: nec- they haven't necessarily integrated those skills into understanding how they work or why they work,
0: mm-hmm. but they can
1: mimic it. So when we look at the three domains for diagnosis between communication, social, and behavior, often the social component doesn't register for girls. Mm-hmm. And it's not because it's not there. It's because they've learned how to mimic The girl's behavior.
0: Oh, that—that's bringing up for me a memory of um, a little girl that I worked with a long time ago, who had a really, really strong social motivation, and she had learned this uh, social mimicry. And this was a a girl who had, you know, was was pretty significantly affected, um, and and did require a lot of support. And at one point, uh, the school called in an expert to sort of, you know, observe her and, and, and give them his recommendations. And he walked out of there and said, she, she doesn't have autism. And of course, you know, he had, he had observed her for what, 30, 30, 45 minutes. She actually was being followed by, you know, really good neuropsychologists, speech and language pathologists, you know, who, who were reconfirming the diagnosis. But, but she was that effective at sort of, you know, mimicking what other people were doing around her um, so that she wasn't standing out.
1: Right. So what we're seeing is, you know, in the research, we're seeing, yes, the first time they observe a female, she looks like she's you know, there's no social issues. And then Mm -hmm. if you observe, you know, researchers has told stories of observing her the next day, Mm -hmm. and she's using the exact same repertoire, the exact same script. And so at first glance, it looks like she's able to walk into a room and say, hi, how are you? My name is Mm -hmm. Catherine. Mm -hmm. I like to play with dolls, you know, and it all looks very natural. But the next day in a different situation, the script is the same. And so there's this there's this learned social behavior, but there isn't the adaptation to what's currently happening in the social situation.
0: And so, do you think is that this is leading, obviously, to girls who have autism, you know, being diagnosed later, maybe not being diagnosed at all? Um, is there ever an issue with misdiagnosis because of all of this? So that's what the research is
1: showing us. There's a lot of misdiagnosis. So, so women are generally either not diagnosed at all, not identified, and they a lot of women in adulthood start to realize like, I've I've felt different my whole life, what is this? Mm -hmm. Um, But women are diagnosed with eating disorders. They're diagnosed with ADHD instead of autism. They're diagnosed as bipolar disorder because a meltdown can look like they're, you know, they have bipolar disorder and Mm -hmm. a lot of women are diagnosed with anxiety disorders.
0: Um, So how do those, how do comorbidities complicate the diagnosis and like the overall picture?
1: So, you know, I've I've spoken to a number of women who said I had anxiety disorder, which, which mm-hmm. is a comorbidity factor with autism. Mm-hmm. You know, my anxiety was the focus that either manifested in obsessive compulsive disorder or an eating disorder. And so that was treated, but the root was autism. And so we see a lot of women really struggling with eating disorders and anxiety disorders that don't necessarily remediate or, or you know, the typical tools that we have don't work as well. Because the underlying disorder is autism, and that's not being addressed.
0: So for these girls or women who are being diagnosed, misdiagnosed, and perhaps, you know, diagnosed with a comorbid disorder or or they're sort of, you know missing the autism, um, but catching some of the symptoms, um, what, what are the eventual repercussions uh, for those girls? We
1: see a lot of issues with women in college situations or in adulthood because, because they have an inability to really identify cues very well mm-hmm. we hear stories of women you know at college you know boys says, why don't you come up to my room i want to show you something and they don't realize what that can lead to so uh-huh. that, so we have a lot of sexual assault uh, okay. we had a lot of, we have a lot of women finding themselves in compromising positions almost every adult female that i've spoken to who's been diagnosed with autism has been assaulted sexually in some way
0: oh my God. and that's
1: typically because just a total lack of understanding of what was happening or mm-hmm. what those cues meant or going to a club or going to a party with friends. Um, I've spoken to a woman who've, you know, been invited to a party and thought, you know, they're not thinking through all the steps have been taken to a party and then the friends have left and left them there. Mm-hmm.
0: And they're, you know, 30
1: mm-hmm. miles from their home and have no ability to get mm-hmm. home. So stories like that of just not be not understanding the consequences right. and all the nuances of social, social events and social interactions. Um, we see. Right. Our- and,
0: And hopefully if autism had is caught earlier or had been actually diagnosed, then the professionals working with that girl or woman would have sort of recognized the potential for that kind of harm and then, you know, and and taken steps to be proactive and treat that. Is that kind of what you're saying?
1: Yeah, exactly. Teaching all those subtleties around life, right, and navigating social situations. You know, a lot of the reasons why for young girls is, you know, one of the traits or characteristics of autism is having an obsessive interest. Not everybody has that, but some people do. And so for women, the obsessive interest could be something like the royal family or Mm -hmm. fashion or things that look generally that that you wouldn't look at and go, okay, this seems like it's age inappropriate or it doesn't match, Mm -hmm. right? Whereas if when adults have an obsession with Disney characters or Mm -hmm. Hello Kitty, right, We, we tend to, want to change that and there's a whole that's a whole nother podcast right around whether that's our right to go in and tell people that they cannot uh, want to spend time with the things they want to spend time with but often the obsessive interest for girls just seem to fit into the normal you know the way their friends and typical girls are are playing the other thing um you know catherine that we're seeing now in the research is that um we're seeing that the female brain, the female autistic brain is developing differently than the male autistic brain. And we're seeing on neuroimaging studies and other types of studies that there are actually brain differences. And so I think the more we, under, we study this and the more we understand this, mm-hmm. uh, the more insight we'll have into what should diagnostic criteria be for girls versus for boys. Mm-hmm. Girls are, are getting missed because or not, or not diagnosed because they don't meet these social criteria for a diagnosis. They're kind of falling by the wayside and they're not eligible for treatment and for services. And that's really important. You know, I got an email the other day from a young woman. It was such a, a, a sad and profound email telling me how her whole life she knew she was different. Her parents put her in and out of um, residential facilities, kind of mental health facilities. Um, and when she turned 18, her parents rented an apartment, paid one month's rent, dropped her off, and they've never spoken to her again. Oh, and you. she happened to somehow meet a man who she's now married to, who she said is also autistic and has been an incredible support for her, but she paralleled his childhood with hers because he was diagnosed and he got support services and he's got a college degree and, you know, he's, he's very successful in life and her kind of path of, of her parents just seeing her behavior and her communication as being, you know, I suppose what we would look at as a conduct disorder, right? That, the, you know, yeah. she just wasn't, they couldn't work with her. And so she kind of talked about uh, absolutely heartbreaking. And I get so many emails from adult women looking for services. I think diagnosis, there is such a need out there. We just don't have enough people diagnosing adults.
0: Is there anything being done right now in terms of diagnostics and assessments to accommodate for the different manifestations in girls and boys?
1: There's definitely more research out there looking at how females should be diagnosed versus boys. And, you know, some of the research says that the numbers may be Closer to two to one, two boys for every female diagnosed as opposed to four to one. You're kidding. Yeah. Yeah. That's dramatic. That is dramatic. Yeah. Wow. So, so you know, research is looking into that and and Mm -hmm. looking at studying girls and looking at how diagnostic criteria should change, but I haven't seen any changes Mm -hmm. put into effect yet.
0: Right. And- Are there any other areas that you think are significantly
1: different? I think what we have to look at is when young girls, teenagers um, are presenting with anxiety disorders and things that look like other kind of mental health disorders, that a screening for autism should be, you know, almost mandated and required at that Mm -hmm. level, because I think that's where it starts. When we look at some of the research, uh, we see that Autism diagnosis are being missed when it comes to females because they tend to be diagnosed when they exhibit a lot of behavioral issues because the social component is not as prevalent or when they have a higher incidence of intellectual disability. So there's this idea that women are missed when they're higher functioning, right? But we know that just because they appear higher functioning with language and social doesn't mean there aren't deficits or issues with sensory
0: sensory issues, with executive functioning and with Behavioral issues. I remember being told when I was a behavior therapist that so many more boys have autism, but the girls who have autism are often very, very, very severe. That there just aren't very many cases of mild autism in, in girls. Yeah, um, exactly. you know, and I, it seems like what what was really going on there is we're just missing all of these girls who are therefore, you so, know, going so on to so- living anxious lives um, without without the proper treatment.
1: Another thing that research has identified is that autistic girls exhibit fewer repetitive behaviors. And that's one of the things that we see a lot, right? That's one of the first items that you will identify in an observation when you're doing a diagnosis. And so so I think this really is speaking to the fact that the diagnostic criteria should be different because the characteristics are different.
0: And it's not just that the repetitive behaviors are like the intense interests, a little bit more socially acceptable they truly just are, Are there are fewer of them? So the research is, is still debating that. And I think okay. we need
1: more research to, to find that out. Some are saying that there are fewer repetitive behaviors. Mm-hmm. Other studies are saying, well, they have repetitive behaviors. They're just more socially acceptable
0: mm-hmm. because
1: they're, you know, women, girls are so good at studying social behavior and mimicking mm-hmm. that they learn how to adapt that. So I think we need more research to determine that. Um, and data suggests that... Um, you know, high-functioning, and I use that with quotation marks, right? High-functioning females with autism are currently mi- misdiagnosed with mental illness, which we know 20, in one study, 23% of women who were diagnosed with mental illness actually had a, a, basic di- a basis diagnosis of autism. So that's a pretty high percent, whereas in the general public, 3% are misdiagnosed. So we're seeing that that's a significant, that's a significant difference.
0: That's shocking.
1: And then of course, autism, there's a comorbidity with ADHD. Mm-hmm. So often the ADHD is more evident and the ADHD is picked up when actually the basis is autism. So again, we're treating, we're treating these individuals and providing services that kind of mm-hmm. are attacking the symptom, but not the real
0: cause. Oh, I went to my one of my reunions. I think it was my 20-year reunion. I went back and and saw a girl that I hadn't seen since high school and she was one of the most extroverted, outgoing, quirky, fun-loving humans that I've ever met. And at our 20 year reunion, she shared with me that she had been diagnosed with autism. And she said, right now you think I'm looking at you and I'm not, I'm looking at your nose. I'm not looking at your eyes. I'm looking at your nose right now. Um, I cannot make eye contact with you. And she had struggled with overeating issues. Um, as a teen and as an adult and that was sort of like one of the ways that she coped because you know she was obviously had so many internal struggles and was not diagnosed with anything you know she she was just sort of having to brave life on her own without any sort of treatment or support.
1: Right. Yeah. I hear so much from the adult community, how painful eye contact is. Mm -hmm. And it really makes me question, you know, certainly when I was trained 30 years ago coming, you know, the first clinic I was trained in was a discrete trial clinic. And it was the very first thing we taught was eye contact. And we forced these kids to look at us. And at the beginning of every trial, it was make eye contact. And when you hear from adults, just how that is so physically painful, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think back to... You know, just the lack of understanding in those days, of course, we didn't have adult voices who could communicate with us really and tell us Mm -hmm. what that experience was like. But we're hearing more and more about how some of these behaviors that we're trying to teach are just essentially overload. You know, they just it's just too much. And so I think there's it's great to be able to get that feedback. If you think about taking looking at an adult who has autism and then Mm -hmm. OCD, right? So you have the autism that already you have real the need for ritual, the need for sameness, right? And then you right. put the OCD on top of that and the obsessive thoughts and the compulsions around this has to be this way. And if I don't follow this routine or if something interrupts my routine, right? The anxiety mm-hmm. that that causes. And so what I've learned a lot from talking to adults is, you know, it's it's a 3D, right? This, this linear spectrum is not, the spectrum that we're taught from low functioning to high functioning is not really linear. It's 3D Mm -hmm. because I have executive functioning skills, but when I have sensory overload, my executive functioning skills, you know, decrease. And so in that moment, I can't use my brain, use those skills or tap into those resources. And then, you know, when I don't have sensory overload, you know, I can, I, I, I appear more, functional. You know, I use these terms again in quotation marks because I don't want to pigeonhole Mm -hmm. these terms.
0: And so what are, what are the takeaways that professionals listening to this um, that you'd like them to, to really consider and take away from, from this conversation?
1: When somebody walks into your office and you're hearing from parents, she's difficult to deal with. She's, you know, she doesn't communicate well, or she's only, she's obsessive about this, but won't you know, comply with other things, won't get involved with other things, doesn't want to participate, Mm -hmm. high anxiety, eating issues. I think that should be a red flag for every pediatrician and diagnostician out there to go, okay, this may not just be a mental health disorder. We need to look into autism. The challenge is a lot of doctors just aren't informed. I mean, I think Mm -hmm. pediatricians are getting a lot better and they are required screenings, but for certainly 10, 15 years ago, when we tried to talk to pediatricians about screening babies for autism, mm-hmm. there was just a refusal to do so because the the anti-vaxxer community was getting a lot of ground. And they said, if I even mention the word, the parents are going to stop vaccinating and I care more about my, my patients getting their vaccines. So I wow. think it's, you know, we're trying to bring pediatricians with us and they're certainly catching up. But, you know, and even if you look at, doctors who go to medical school, I think they mm-hmm. get an hour of instruction in the entire medical career on autism. Wow. So it really starts at that level where, you know, all the professionals out there and the medical community is getting better informed, and better educated around what to look for.
0: Yeah. It sounds like we really need an information campaign really focused on girls and women with autism. Yeah. So that's one of the questions
1: we talk about, you know, autism awareness month is coming up in a few weeks mm-hmm. and you know do we still need to focus on awareness and are we also focusing on acceptance because mm-hmm. you know people a lot of these adults who reach out to me just are struggling so much mm-hmm. with their communities um there was a an, a news piece yesterday that an employee and a disabled employee won a lawsuit for being bullied um and sh- and i'm not sure if it was uh, if it's a male or a female but mm-hmm. this person is a seasonal employee so typically you know, full-time employees. There are regulations around being bullied, but this individual is a seasonal employee. So the world is shifting mm-hmm. to much more awareness around
0: how we treat individuals. So to that point about whether we not we need autism awareness, where we whether we continue to need autism awareness or whether we need to be shifting this more toward autism acceptance. You know, I really think that awareness of autism in boys is in a, in a hugely different place than it was 25 years ago um, when I, when I started in the field and, you know, obviously we need to be focusing on autism acceptance, but this issue of girls and the misdiagnosis and the lack of diagnosis, that's something that I think we still have a really long way to go with awareness.
1: Yeah. And that's why I think it's the
0: focus should be a
1: combination, right? Especially awareness around women is very important. Awareness around adults is very important because there are so many adults out there struggling, not understanding, mm-hmm. you know, what's why they are the way they are and why the world is is challenging for them. Um and they're just of very few resources. You know, I get I get emails all the time from adults and I reach out. I think I reached out to you saying who do you know on the East Coast that can that can do an assessment for an adult and there's just far too few people doing that. So I think awareness is a big piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and then acceptance, you know, there's a, there's a big voice from the autistic community around, instead of trying to just change us to be the way you want us to be, how about mm-hmm. moving into our world, you know, kind of meeting us halfway and accepting Absolutely. us and making adaptations on your side mm-hmm. um, to accommodate us.
0: But I feel for those women who, you know, have have missed out on being diagnosed and who, you know are are sort of suspecting themselves. Um, you know, they're not even sort of given that opportunity or that understanding to be able to sort of demand that, you know, accept our world um when you know they 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 are potentially not even really aware of of where their challenges are stemming from
1: exactly. I gave a speech a couple of years ago about diagnosis and autism in the spectrum, and um, at the end of the talk, a woman came up to me crying and she said, I think I'm autistic. And it just, Mm -hmm. I just figured it out listening to you talk. And so I think that awareness around, this is how it presents, you know, there's the whole aspect of, you know, what, what a lot of what we used to call high functioning adults, which we don't use that term anymore. We use even low support is not a great term because they need a lot of support, but they talk about invisible autism, you know, on the Mm -hmm. outside, they're very communicative, they're very bright, they have jobs, you know, they're functioning in the world, but they have huge invisible struggles mm-hmm. around anxiety, around sensory overload. And so that's what this woman was struggling with. She was like, I, I never knew why I had all these things, but now it makes sense because on at face value, when you meet someone, you can't see all that struggle that's happening inside.
0: Right. And women are, are so much more apt to kind of turn toward, um, you know, self-harm behaviors or- eating disorders or you know just kind of like stuffing that anxiety down right
1: right and that's what you know I had a conversation I mentioned this in my book with Jennifer O'Toole um who's a she's an author she's a she's an autistic adult and she talked about heart disease and how the focus all the research around heart disease was on men the focus was around men mm-hmm. and yet heart disease is I think the second leading killer of women but it just wasn't identified and and so once there was awareness and there was research, now women understand that a heart attack in a woman feels different than a heart attack in a man. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, this great awareness around it. And she she talked about the need for research in women, the need for awareness, but also the need for the right intervention. Because if you treat the anxiety without treating the underlying disorder, you're not actually treating what needs to be addressed.
0: Exactly. Well, I appreciate that you included this as part of your book. And that you came on the podcast to, to talk about this because I agree, this is something that really, really does warrant a lot more discussion in the community so that professionals and parents can be more aware of it. Well, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Great to talk to you. I'm grateful to Dr. Ronit Malko for shedding some light on an issue that seems to have taken a backseat to some other topics in our field right now. The fact that autism manifests differently in girls and women resulting in their misdiagnosis is truly something that needs a lot more research and attention. You can listen to our other episodes on Apple podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts. We always appreciate your reviews and ratings if you're so inclined. And if you have show ideas or a question for us, email us at at learnbehavioral.com or find us on Instagram or Facebook at At Autism Therapies. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of All Autism Talk. This podcast is brought to you by Learn Behavioral, the leading network of providers serving children with autism and other special needs. Visit us at learnbehavioral.com. Listen to previous episodes at allautismtalk.com, on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All Autism Talk, connecting the autism community one podcast at a time.